What is financial inclusion? And why is it important for your financial brand to be thinking about financial inclusion as you think about future growth? Well, let's find out together on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Greetings and hello, I'm James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and joining me for today's conversation is Viola Llewellyn. Viola is the founder and CEO of The Toolbox, and today we're going to dive into how your bank, credit union, or fintech can effectively engage communities to foster financial inclusion, which as a result can help you unlock future growth opportunities. Welcome to the show, Viola. It is great to share time with you today. Well, thank you very much, James. It's good to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. And before we get into talking about how to engage communities, how to foster financial inclusion, what is good in your world right now, personally or professionally? It is always your pick to get started. There's a lot going on, but let me see what's relative and important here. I think the fact that 2024 is shaping up to be a much better year than 2023 already. And I have found new ways in which to discuss financial inclusion, small and medium enterprise engagement and self-curated female leadership in order to exist in a world where Everything should be possible because of financial inclusion, but we're all still trying to find the best tools and products to drive that. And I'm doing it through self-curated leadership, which I hopefully will lead to better prosperity for everyone. Absolutely. It's interesting. Uh, and I really appreciate the way that you framed up 2024 is feeling even better than 2023. Uh, I'm yes. right there with you. And I, I just think that's the general theme and tone. What would you attribute that to from your lens of the world, this positive progress, if you will? Well, my gut feel about it is in 2023, the level of uncertainty was such a huge delta ride. Nobody was really sure when the next shoe was going to drop. And it dropped a few shoes. Yes. Now that we've got what feels like the worst of horrors under our belt, I think some people have used it as a way to create a sense of resilience in their world, to review how they treat finance and that nexus that you and I have talked about between culture, personal uh, psychology and the presence or lack of presence of opportunity, not so much physical money. And in 2024 for myself, I had a good opportunity to think through what hurt the most in 2023, and it was the uncertainty. So now being able to engage, especially with other women, for how do we build resilience so that we can go back to having very large, ambitious dreams around what will financial inclusion do to make our lives more productive? I feel braver. Other people feel braver. I understand that I survived 2023 with a paucity of capital and a destruction of opportunity, which is how it felt. I feel that I can control that better in 2024 through better engagement with individuals. So everything feels new. I'm very excited. Um, we understand the language of central banks. We understand the language of the economy. So therefore, we can do things a little different. It's interesting, this idea of, we'll call it surviving versus thriving. I would say mm -hmm. I, I feel some of that in reflection and hindsight with 2023. Yeah. 2023. That was a year of surviving we could take those lessons learned. And you mentioned that the idea of psychology, um, post-traumatic stress oh. versus post-traumatic 
growth. It's a newer perspective in the, the, the field of psychology, but it's how do you take negative, painful experiences and transform them into courage, into resiliency, into the fuel for future growth, which I think mm -hmm. if you, th if you think about the aspect of money and finances and how this goes back in some cases, multiple generations across multiple oh, yeah. cultures and impacts a person right now in the present moment, what can we do to a gain awareness into how that is impacting us and b be able to use that awareness to then take action and apply that new knowledge, apply that new insight to move forward on our own journeys of growth, which in their turns, I know you talk a lot about financial inclusion. What is, is it, how would you define that to begin our conversation here today? And let's just mess up everything you said by saying, and if you look at that from underneath the uh, ever encompassing blanket of AI. Mm. So for me, <laughs> where do I start to choose what I'm going to believe in? Yeah. That impacts culture and it impacts, uh, it's impacted by culture and by uh, personal philosophy, past experiences, post-traumatic stress uh, that you mentioned so beautifully, Robert. And this is what it looks like for us. Um, without an, under, uh, an honest understanding of what is true and knowing that because we are now being uh, sectioned into more past societies, so you can't just talk about a market group. You're really curating down to the individual and taking into account what they've learned. I have African parents from Cameroon. I was born in the UK. There is a part of me that is so dichotomized from what I see in our culture, which is that when things are tough, the 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 psychology of poverty seems to be very protective. And no matter what is being said on the outside, you start to realize that how you feel internally about finance and opportunities in a world that is governed by AI and technology, you can accidentally be comparing yourself to the visual outputs of individuals who you think have got it right. Mm. Not everybody's got it right. They may have it, they may have it right for their lives and their goals. But it may not be right for you. So you end up with a large swath of the community going down the wrong path because they believe that the external dream has to look a certain way. And because financial inclusion is still at a nascent point of being able to understand and recognize and believe that these are the certain factors and markers of when a group of individuals or a person has got it right, it's very difficult to have a through line that says this is this form of financial inclusion is absolutely working. You have to dig a lot deeper, which means that we have got to communicate differently. We've got to have different yardsticks for different groups of people. We might still be a long way off from having a high harmonized group of people where the, the bottom line, the lowest common denominator is the same and everybody expects it to be the same. It's a very complicated toothy situation. And of course, when you have things like this, there is lots of opportunity for product development or for what you do so very well, James, which is explaining it to people in very simple language. And that's something that I am looking forward to. But like I said at the beginning, what we knew in 2023 did not scream as loudly about the, the big beast in the room, AI. And it certainly continued to miss the mark on culture and um, psychology in, in this nexus. And that's where I really want to push things in 2024. I hope I've sort of 
answered this. No, you did. And, and I want to stay on a couple of points here. I'm so glad, A, you, you brought up AI. B, you brought up the perspective of what we'll just call comparison culture. Um, yes. And how perhaps algorithms, because you mentioned the internal perspective versus the external, how what I'm perceiving and per perception is the sum of context and framing, how I'm perceiving might be the algorithm feeding me a certain perception, which not exactly. might not necessarily be true for what I need at this point moment in time and therefore it creates a gap that creates friction that creates frustration that cr creates complexity but to your point when you have that that also creates opportunity for product development for new ways yes. of thinking new ways of doing <laughs> and i guess that begs the deeper question with this perspective of financial inclusion also now through the lens of ai and artificial intelligence why is this an important subject right now maybe more than ever before for financial brands and more specifically community financial brands to be thinking about? I can tell you in very simple terms. One, what I'm worried about is uh, digital poverty from being uh, not included. And I think if I were to think about the clearest way to also talk about it is that we will go back down into a post-colonial issue of the digital gap, the digital divide. Those that are born now into digital inclusion by the very mere fact that their birth has been digitally recorded and their lives will be tracked, impacted, monetized and productized versus others. And I think about my late mother, for example, she had two birth certificates. Mm. And you've got entire communities and cultures where their approach to digital inclusion needs a different treatment. But if we don't start to look at this from the responsible perspective of the fact that you've got groups, uh, Africa, 1.2 billion people, Asia and all of these other places, and then supposedly bad actors from regions where we hear a lot about um, cyber attacks segmenting these groups out or allowing them to commingle mm. creates other situations and even some challenges problems and misunderstanding miscategorization further digital gaps further digital poverty poverty and further disinclusion so that if we look forward let's say 25 30 years we'll probably still be talking about how do we drive financial inclusion because we didn't get to pay attention to it the dawn of it all and we're probably already far down the road at least from what i saw when operating in some of these markets that's a great point you're addressing here the digital inclusion or the digital gap um you you and i maybe perhaps there are two sides to this coin there's the physical technology you know the access okay. to the digital capability but might there be another gap and we'll just call it mindset if you will, um, how we, once again, perceive the world. I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, if you were born in 1994, uh, your perception of the world is going to be different than if you were born, say, after 1994. And now that also depends upon where you were born in the yes. world, uh, culturally even. My wife is Lebanese. And so we have a very different view of just, we'll call it a relationship with technology, naturally, culturally. Um, yes. How much of that 
that role that maybe that perspective of of mindset driven by cultural beliefs cultural systems could also play a part in either expanding or shrinking this digital divide and let's not even forget the impact of gender on that very true <laughs> so, oh, yep yep very true yeah Let's start with my own experiences, watching my mother with numerous notebooks in the evening, doing her calculations and sums and how I peeked into those books every once in a while and saw nothing but the most bizarre streams of numbers and additions and subtractions. Of course, we're talking my um, 80s. In the UK, and my mother did this even when we lived in Cameroon, of just sitting there in a place where no one is posting the prices of meat, vegetables or rice in the market. How is this woman collecting this information to decide what her budget ought to look like? And why is her budgeting style based on the most simplistic of mathematics? Yet it works. But fast forward watching my mother try to claw her way into financial inclusion, laced with fear and her own cultural bedrock, which for a lot of people tells them how far they can and cannot go. And my mother often told us, checkbooks lead to debt. I heard that most of my life. Why did I not believe it? It's for the reasons that you said, James, when you are born in a different place, maybe your family and culture is geographically different from you and where you pull information from. Strangely enough, I was reading everything about um, the the uh, the masters of the captains of industry back in the day, IBM, Dell, Digital, all of those old companies where black women weren't necessarily supposed to be drawing their inspiration from. But because white male archetypes were told to me from a colonial perspective that this is the height of where you need to aspire to, even though my education and what was being told to me was completely different. It was just the image of whiteness, maleness, top of the pyramid chain that is aim for that, but we can't give you too many tools for that just in case you get hurt along the way or something of that nature. So when you have more people in the 90s now constantly breaking away from the parental moorings and the cultures that inform them on how what to do with money, where you find money, what you and, and how to keep money, you start to get this beautiful splintering, which I think is also very important for diversity. It's the kickback, it's the ping, it's the return on what does and does not work. So my mother went from, I do my sums to figure out how much things cost in the, in the, in the shops mm -hmm. to I better get a checkbook, but I'm absolutely petrified. And my mother did not have a credit card in her lifetime. She was 82 when she died last year. She had a debit card, which she held with an iron grip of fear and constantly telling us, Money is the root of all evil and being very afraid of what will it look like to the outside world if there was a deeper investigation into how she or her family makes money and how they keep it. So you end up with secrecy. Mm. Secrecy and privacy are such close neighbors, but they're not the same. Some ethnic groups don't know the difference. Both are, it's taboo. We don't talk about it. Right. But you want to be able to sell the appearance of success. Now we are in the in the 2024 era and I look at young people today and they don't seem to be so concerned with a certain type of external wealth. They seem to be concerned with acquiring experiences. Throw that into the mix, James, and can you imagine what is going to happen with banking, products, the assessment of wealth, 
identifying where wealth is when everything is so ephemeral. I don't think sometimes that we're ever going to get out the, the starting blocks. It seems to me we're going to have additional continual um, starting and restarting as we reframe all of these beautiful subjects. It's interesting. I know I've got, that's where I'm coming from. No, no. And I appreciate your perspective. It, it, it really adds so much to this conversation. You mentioned experiences. So mm -hmm. it's, it's funny just, you know, thinking about my own experience here and my wife, um, we recently celebrated the holidays and each, each year we have decreased the amount of gifts that we have gifted our children. Mm -hmm. And this year we did something completely different. We said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do what's called the 12 months of Christmas. And what we did is every month we gifted the kids an experience a family experience, something as simple as, you know, decorating cookies to camping in the backyard, um, mm -hmm. to going out to uh, Big Bend National Park and sleeping under the stars. Just these in one experience every single month because yeah. it's just, it's not stuff. It's the things that you can take forward with you for not just our kids, but that's going to create memories and, 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 and reverberate down into their children. And I don't know, it's just a whole different way of looking at the world around us. And you're right. What's going to happen, you know, and I think the other thing too, I can't help but question how much something that was written about in a book written in night, I think it was 1997 called the fourth turning to where the authors looked at the history of time and they found these 80 year cycles and they were broken up to 20 year subblocks. And in 80 years, essentially back to the point of your mother, that's, that's a generation. It and, is. And now this book written in 1997, as we're entering into 2024, we're entering into what's called the fourth turning which will be another 20 year cycle, which will then continuously re repeat itself. It's something that I, I'm really recommending leaders lean into and learn about because it's just the patterns of time and it's almost the patterns of people. And it's one of those things where it's like, why does history continue to repeat itself? Well, we have to go back and look at the patterns. And if we want to break free from the patterns, then we need to be very intentional with thought and action um, to create a new path forward, which I think what that's what you're doing with your thought. And one of the things you have when it comes to this discussion, it is, this is based on Maslow's five, five hierarchy of, of, of the pyramids of needs. And we've, we've touched on a couple of these and I want to break this down for those who are watching and listening, these five different levels of this pyramid that you've shared with me. Um, and, they're broken up into three By levels. By the way, yeah, I know it's a shameless plug, but I'm so impressed because I made this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, and and I think that's that's why I'm this is thinking about this a long time. But that's the point. You've been thinking about this and thought there are four steps that lead to human transformation. Step number yes. one is you have to see things from a different perspective. And that's what hopefully this conversation is going to do. It's just going to help people to begin to see things from a different perspective. That will then lead to a transformation of thought and thought pattern. But then when I ask leaders and financial brand leaders, well, what happens when you see different, you think different, when you think different, then what's the next logical step? 98, 99% are saying, well, we're going to do different. We're going to act different. We're going to be different. I'm like, no, you're not. 
You have to bridge the gap between thought and action with feeling and emotion. Because mm-hmm. yes. the desire, and the feeling, a strong why. Yes, and the desire, the feeling, the emotion has to be greater than the desire, feeling, emotion to stay the same. Back to your point, you have to find a strong why, a purpose. What I'm writing about and banking on change, you have to care for mm-hmm. the future. And and the C in care, it's an acronym. The C is you have to commit to a cause greater than yourself in the present moment. So let's come back to this because you've got ecosystem and security, you've got inclusion and authority, and then, you, then finally, just like Maslow, you've got you've got potential or purpose fulfilled. Yeah. Let's come back to the baseline here because a digital and physical ecosystem that supports innovation, promotes access to opportunity, and designed to generate wealth, all foundations have to be strong. What does this yes. mean to you here? This means specifically this. From a global perspective, feeling good about helping people who are poor has got nothing to do and should have nothing to do with giving them stuff. It's about the creation of opportunity Mm -hmm. so that the strongest can create the pillars. No nation can be built on charitable giving. Yet there is an engagement of charitable giving at this level that many people will gravitate towards because of the way it makes you feel. And you only see the first surface of what that money has done. So when you don't have security that is based on every citizen having a strong pillar for contributing to GDP, societal safety and their own mental health then you've got some very wonky pillars and i know that's not a technical mba term but i don't know any other way emotionally to describe it it just will not hold up and now in this modern day we're hoping expecting that even though people do not physically travel as much as they might have used they would have done in the past your digital journey puts the world in the palm of your hands, whether it's via your phone, how you engage in business, what products and services you develop, what you send out, and the little pieces of you that are now scattered absolutely all over the universe. Digitally, how do you maintain control that and decide how much information is important and necessary at any point in time? So the system has to be, um, in. I'm thinking of the word interintuitive, and even though I know it's not a real word, but the fact that we have AI and the sentiment behind it and the understanding of the directions that people take to stay safe have to be able to support that because we're all looking for a roadway to take us from um, incredibly poor or wherever you are to where your hopes and dreams are able to furnish a life that is worth living that creates no disturbances to other people because where your happiness ends, somebody else's misery begins. So you need the ecosystem security to operate on all of those pillars all at once. I want to touch on something where you said where your happiness ends, someone else's misery begins. I know this is a deeper philosophical context (laughs) here, but it's something that came up with a gentleman. His name is David Dibbles. He wrote a book called the four uh, new, sorry, the new agreements for the workplace. And, I've got to read that. And uh, I'll send you the podcast as a follow-up to this and, and so you can hear it in his own words. But we're all interconnected in one way, shape, yes. form, or fashion. And I guess what I'm hearing you talk to to this foundation, and maybe this is an oversimplistic way of thinking about it, but we have to teach people how to fish instead of just giving them the fish. Is that a it's super simple, I know, but is that that's the empowerment That's here. Exactly what I'm saying, because I have seen this in various parts of the world. Um, by the way, Lebanon is one of the most 
beautiful places I've ever been. And I was speaking there on an Islamic uh, finance event. And even in the casual conversations with individuals, seeing how their group dynamic is such a powerful driver for how people approach success, which is very rarely just for themselves. There isn't the singular aggrandizement of achievement that is often the hallmark of certain Western developed nations where culture says, um, you want to be an individual, you want to be recognized for your uniqueness, but you must also be part of the group. And these three are so dissonant together without the connecting pieces that say, for example, you have absolutely every right to meet all your hopes and dreams and be incredibly happy. But the icing on that cake is if you are also able to make all boats rise with the tide. That's powerful. And that is digitally measurable. Yes. So we have gone from the lone charger running out, seeking um, the shores of some distant land that you now say you found, even though it wasn't missing, read between the lines, to let me find out how to engage and figure out what is the general consensus for what's good for everyone. And how can I also be a recognized winner in how I contribute to that? And if you look at the top of the, the pyramid, we're all looking to be productive contributors to the world to, to make your claim that I too was here. Finance money, two separate things, can definitely go a long way to do that. Yeah. And it's an external form of measurement that other people say, oh, yeah, look, they've done very, very well. Look how money, much money they've made. But we also see with the younger generation, oh, look how well they've done, how much time freedom they have and how their experiences allow them to contribute to better products, better um, community, better criticism and an intelligence that isn't just about book smart, but can be related and transferred so that somebody else can use it appropriately. The idea of it's your value. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's the point. It all comes down to value creation. And it's the idea, too, that a rising tide, back to your point, it lifts all ships. And I've been thinking a lot about this. I forgot where I heard this, but someone had, had made a comment. There's a, a distinction between cooperation and collaboration. Yes. Cooperation, the way that they define this was, yeah, you have to work well together. Yeah. Cooperation is needed for collaboration. Collaboration, on the other hand, is you're co-creating together. And I want to come back to the pyramid here because you have this foundation with this digital and physical ecosystem that supports innovation, promotes access to opportunity, and is designed to, to generate wealth, create value. Then you level that up. Then you have security, data protection, cybersecurity, Effective policy regulation across all sectors. Why is this the next level up once we have a strong foundation here? We have political cycles that run through uh, four-year groups in the same way that you talked about these 20-year cycles. Without effective regulation, which is always at the mercy of innovation and the level of risk that people are willing to take in order to move forward, we don't have a way to keep things safe. We know that it takes a long time to get very slow adopters to meet us in the middle when you are innovating. And we also know that banking regulation, at least in the United States, can be as slow as molasses and does not meet the appetite for wealth creation for those that have a vision that they are, on the one hand, promoting at the speed of lightning through 
uh, uh, Instagram or wherever the case may be, places that governments and regulation cannot see effectively. And I'll throw another um, little bit of ink in the milk well, and the uh, little milk in the ink well. But with the same uh, policy regulation issues that we have, we also know that the people being hired to roll out policy regulation are also misaligned from those who are at the pointy end of the spear for creating these products and opportunities. If we don't harmonize those and make these policies um, fit for purpose and future-proofed, or at the very least, agile enough to shift and change. We keep having these lags and misalignments. It's those uh, misalignments and the lags that bad actors jump into. And their impact, unfortunately, tends to be way more, boom, huge, big, than those people trying to do well. Mm. Effective policy regulation absolutely has to take a 360-degree review of what did history teach us, what is the larger group of individuals trying to do for the good of everybody else, how do we create a safe roadmap for them to continue, almost sandbox type, forward with some, some breaks and some support, and how do we ensure that we have enough mistakes in the system to teach us safely? or to be able to turn them into learnings that are easily adopted by large groups of people. Again, that whole sandbox thing. But effective policy regulation should be what helps everybody to get, to access the just the democracy of opportunity. Let's look, let's look at what's going on with diversity. There are lots of people, Black people especially, myself, that say, yeah, I really did like the idea of um, what was that stuff, James, when you had enough quotas for individuals getting into college, for example. And for a while, that was a good idea. Me personally today, it would be very difficult to have true competition in its healthy, healthiest format. But we end up having to have these kinds of policies because the beginning of that foundation for that inclusion wasn't really built with such a future in mind. And people need different things. When we thought that everybody wanted this sort of um, access to opportunity based on numbers, even those that were supposed to be the beneficiaries of that, some are saying, Natchez, you know what? I want to compete at the highest, toughest level because that's where the rewards are. And I want to be able to share those experiences and not be told that based on any of these non-diverse markers, what you have to say is not important because it's very important. It's where the policy regulation gets the ping that says whether or not it worked. Well, that's where there are four seasons, if you will, that lead to continued growth. There's a <laughs> season for learning. There's a season for thinking. There's a season for doing an execution. And then there's a season for pausing to break free from the doing, to review what was done, <laughs> to learn through that experience to then think about how to do even better going forward. And I, what I see with a lot of financial brand leaders is they just get so busy in doing that they don't yes. create the space and time to pause, to review, to reflect, to learn, to think about how to do even better through the next season or the next cycle of growth. Pay for it. You know, what's really interesting, James, that, I've never been able to put words to what we're talking about the way you have. And I'm absolutely living for this conversation because we always talk about, especially in the toolbox, 
instead of comparing benchmarking and not having that, you know, the term, I don't judge. No, we all judge, but we should evaluate. And without that sort of evaluation and that pause and that ping, we don't have an ability to recalibrate Mm -hmm. and to record things in such a way that we've got learning modules that anybody should be able to access to get it right sooner. Yes. You shouldn't have to, in this day and age of digital access, be um, crawling around in any kind of dysfunctional darkness because you're not sure which way to go. You can go any direction you want, but as long as the system, the policy regulation is built in such a way that you're able to see whether or not you've got it right earlier rather than later, we can save a lot of time and money and the impact to entire industries when um, people's mistakes are short truncated short cycles lots of learning long roadway to continue that i know people don't believe in the term failing forward because it's not what it is but without the experimentation and the testing you don't have the lessons learned you might have a nice end result but if you ask somebody break it down and they can't reverse engineer it no way you you can't pull the threads on it you can't do what humanity requires for for a strong, diverse ecosystem and very effective policy regulation. Well, I've mentioned this many times on the podcast. So in the lay household, we have winners and we have learners. Um, Oh, I love that. Can I steal it? Yes, absolutely. Because here's the thing. I think there's such a, because, you know, you talk about this idea of failing and failing forward. There's such a negative connotation tied up with failing if we just eliminate that idea like we're just learn if if you could take that and in the mind transform whatever the negative experience was into a learning lesson and really truly you know take something from that and apply it forward i think you know I've, i've i've kind of joked in hindsight um and i'll probably speak more publicly on some of these you know within the the coming weeks and months just because that's how i am 2023 was a very expensive year of learning. There was a lot of tuition to get through 2023. Now let's get to the other side and apply those lessons to be even better. And I think that's where, as we start to wrap up here, I want to move up to the top of the pyramid, the potential sure. fulfilled, where, you know, where we have productive contributors that are uh, digitally included global citizens. What does this mean to you here? Oh, wow. At the top of the pyramid are individuals who are, have um, removed the first impediment to financial inclusion, which is language. Mm. If you cannot speak to people in a way that reaches past just the words, but to the meaning and the intent and the wholesale acceptance, not being on the same page, but acceptance of what somebody else is saying, you can't become a collaborator. You cannot be as digitally included as you would like. So that's the first bit. Next bit, your education, whether it is delivered digitally or traditionally, has a vocational element to it that teaches monetization of talent and helps protect IP so that individuals have real ownership of what they produce that can continue to create a coupon of financial returns way off into the future or be delivered in such a way that it is so shareable and it's immutable. Going beyond just that, the the um, having the digital birth certificate, having an education that works for you, that's portable, is also the portability of your health, 
your banking, and even your, your beliefs. Some groups of individuals want to be able to come forward and say, this is how my philosophies work. I'm looking for other people. I'm looking for my tribe. I'm looking for my, my group. This is where I choose to build value. Or being able to know exactly what will happen to your digital assets after you have gone. So to be able to have an entire outlook of your life from the beginning to the end and be very confident about what you're contributing to to the soup, so to speak, the entire world, that I think is a life that is really, really worth living. And you can bequeath, you can teach, engage, be included, finance and fund your experiences, save for your future, provide for others, whether they are near or far, and to be recognized and not be robbed of your humanity in the process. That's what that looks like to me. I really appreciate that. And the idea that we can continue to create value long after our physical bodies have done its time is a very, it's a very interesting idea. Um, I think about- well, James, have you just invented digital immortality then? <laughs> well, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this because to a degree, I banking on change was highly influenced by stoic thinking and being, oh, yeah. being able to read, you know, the works of like Marcus Aurelius. Well, mm. you're, you're able to read those works, but now w through books and like his book meditation, for example, but then you add a whole new contextual layer on top of that with voice, with video. It's a very fascinating idea of how, the value that we create in our little momentary blip of time has the potential to continue to reverberate forward into the future. And to your point, you know, IP and like the blockchain, how all of that is going to play into this larger context of a conversation. Exactly. I like to wrap up with a practical step because we've hit some very important points in today's discussion. If you're a financial brand leader watching or listening, what is one thing that they can do next to facilitate this dialogue and this discussion even more deeply, this thinking within their own organization so that they can continue to create value for people in the communities that they serve, people who they might not are even thinking about creating value now because it's just a matter of perspective. I think um, start with your internal staff. When I was running Ovamba on the African continent, specifically in Cameroon, Ivory Coast and a few other places, I had to detrain my staff. And whenever we rolled out products and banks, the training of uh, relationship managers had to be from the perspective of here's what you will no longer do. And that is a very fine line to thread between what banking policy and regulation says and what can be done creatively market-wise and for customers. So with banks, they need to be able to have an entrepreneurial department of those individuals who are from a diverse group working together to understand customers as people and not just um, noughts and crosses or or anything of that nature where it's just a customer and this is what the revenue attached to this. Let's get more um, share of wallet. So taking a human approach to finance, number one. Number two, the other thing I think that banks can do is to continuously provide a form of digital town hall 
where they are beginning to ask customers, what products do you want developed? We've got lessons for you here where you can get mini bite-sized um, teachings for how to become more global, how to run your business. And I know a lot of banks do that. But when I saw you on stage, James, and I saw the way in which you were able to take very difficult uh, topics and break them down in a language that banks can understand. I'll give you an example. Most insurance companies have an excellent float that they do not use, especially in Central Africa, to fund small and medium enterprises. And they would much rather pay the um, the slap on the wrist fee for not doing it. How do we get individuals to stop thinking about success as the hoarding of money versus the work that it's doing? How do we get individuals and banks to contribute to the different types of risk models that different groups need, yet find a smart way to harmonize it at the end? Because you need a full picture, not just pieces of the picture. Yeah. Again, this whole digital journey for the human race is going to be so important in making sure when we get to that top where potential is fulfilled, people are happy and can now teach others how to do the same, almost as if it is embedded in their family dynamic, their upbringing. Yeah. All transformation, it starts within, it starts with the self, then the team, then the organization. That transformation can spill over into the lives when we focus on human-centered design that leads to human-centered growth. Viola, this has yes. been such a great conversation. What is the best way for someone to connect with you to continue the dialogue we've just we started here today? Viola.Llewellyn at the tool, which is T-U-L-L-E, not T-O-O-L, dash box.com. And I am not on X, but you will find me on LinkedIn and our website, which is being built. And I will be taking a lot of the things that you said and putting that in there because it's been absolutely riveting talking to you. And guess what we did not cover on another day? I actually have some thoughts and opinions about accelerated uh, genetic growth and the impact on human beings as we make these choices with the physical meeting the digital. What's the API that connects us or separates us within that particular arena? Everything you say, James, is just so bloody invigorating. It's been a joy talking to you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure as well. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, be the light.